millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey everyone, it's Pacific, and we're back with yet another episode of Out of Place. Thanks for tuning in. If you like the show and you like what we do, consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. Reviews are one of the best tools to help getting our show out to newer and bigger audiences. And if you want more of Out of Place, or any of the other Midnight Disease shows like The Theater of Tomorrow, The Hotel, and, when it arrives on November 12th, Margaret's Garden, consider heading to midnightdisease.net slash join. And there, for only $5 a month, you can get ad-free and bonus access to all the Midnight Disease shows. It's a pretty cool deal, and I think you'll like it. But that's enough rambling for this week. Without further ado, enjoy this episode of Out of Place. I probably should have paid more attention when Miss Arundel first showed me around the Institute. I got a call from her in the morning telling me there was a delivery for me and that I needed to go to the loading dock. I said, what loading dock? The one by the freight elevator, she said, and I said, what freight elevator? It turns out the Carruthers Institute has both those things. I eventually found the loading dock at the back of the building where an authentic cockney with a white van was waiting. He was polite, but I could tell he was impatient. I helped him move a wheeled platform with a handle out of the van and onto the dock and into the freight elevator. On the platform was an enormous crate. Thankfully, he worked out how to operate the elevator. It went down to a room a couple of doors away from my computer room. He asked me to sign a sheet of paper and left with his little wheeled trolley. I was left with a huge wooden crate and no idea what was in it. I found a crowbar in a toolbox in the artefact cleaning room and levered off the top and one of the sides. It was full of hay, which of course spilled out everywhere. It's still there, 
I'll clear it all away eventually. And on top of the hay was a sheet of paper that read, For the attention of the Carruthers Institute. Details enclosed. Signed, Mr. Havisham. The project had outdone themselves this time. This was far bigger than anything they'd sent me before. I didn't even know what the procedure was for storing anything of this size. It's not like a piece of attic pottery. I can't put it on a shelf. Throw a dust sheet over it and call it a good job, I suppose. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Under all the hay was a piece of furniture. A table or a desk with drawers all over the front. It was made of dark wood inlaid with lighter colours and it was covered in carvings. Absolutely covered every surface except the top. It took me a while to get all the bits of hay out of the nooks and crannies. What I first thought was the top of the desk hinged upwards to form three mirrors, like a triptych over an altar. The actual top was set with little boxes and compartments. It was a dressing table, with compartments for jewellery, cosmetics and who knows what else for someone to prettify themselves in front of the mirrors. And it was hideous. Absolutely grotesque. It was an antique, something expensive, and I've never seen such literal proof that money can't buy good taste. Every inch of it was covered in carvings that crammed up against each other as if competing for real estate. The feet were gilded lion's claws. The handles for the drawers were so well hidden among all the figures and decoration it was difficult to find them at first. I had no idea how I was supposed to catalogue this thing. I knew enough about different types of amphora and shards of pottery, but antique furniture was a new one on me. I just poked at it to begin with, opening the drawers and compartments. That was when I found the card. It was the size of a business card, neatly printed, and had been left in one of the drawers. It was the details included that Mr. Havisham mentioned, I suppose. It read, Lot 41, Louis Seventeenth Dresser, French early 19th century. I started by noting down the content of some of the carvings. Each section formed a scene bordered by leaves and scrollwork. The carving and marquetry was extremely intricate. The desk was oak, I guessed, a dark wood at least, inlaid with different shades so the figures stood out. One of them was of a man and a woman emerging from an egg with a swan looking on. Another was a woman riding on a bull, her hair streaming out behind her. A woman dancing in fire, a mountain surrounded by clouds and thunderbolts. Lots more besides. It made my head hurt. After a while I couldn't focus on it all. So that was when I started looking things up. In retrospect, it seems that's when things always start going wrong. If I just stopped there and recorded what these artefacts seemed to be at first glance, I'd be fine. But no, I have to get curious. Or perhaps it's a sense of duty. A sort of penance for being such a bad student back when I was supposed to be getting a degree. It is my sacrifice of labour to the world of academia that I might be forgiven. Anyway, the first thing I noticed is that there wasn't a Louis the Seventeenth, Sort of. Louis XVI was the last king of France before the French Revolution. He got his head chopped off in 1792 along with his wife Marie Antoinette. 
royalists referred to his son Louis Charles as Louis the Seventeenth, but he was seven years old at the time. He was imprisoned and then died at the age of ten, never having reigned. He wasn't actually the King of France, and he certainly didn't have a style of furniture named after him. He was just a child. A very unfortunate and sad footnote in the history of France. For this thing to exist, Louis the Seventeenth would have to reign for a decent length of time. In terms of style, this Louis the Seventeenth went from the elegant and neoclassical style of his father to the ludicrously blinged-out excesses of Louis the Fourteenth, the Sun King. Louis XIV was the high watermark of kingly excess. Wherever this carbuncle of a dresser came from, things had either gone back to the Sun King's nadir of taste or never left it. My father's side of the family had money. Not so they'd ever own anything like this, but enough so my father never forgave the world for not making him as rich as his father or grandfather. I think I was supposed to do it for him, so he hasn't forgiven me either. I think this dresser is exactly the kind of thing he'd want to own if he could. In a huge mock Tudor mansion with champagne-coloured carpets and a ten-car garage for all the classics he wanted to own. He would talk about having a GT or a Mercilago as if he'd ever have the chance of owning one. I suppose that's our equivalent of this dresser. A car that doesn't really do anything except show everyone you're the kind of person who can buy it. You can drive a supercar just like you can put on your lipstick at this dresser, but you're not supposed to. You're just supposed to have it and let other people know you have it. This being a piece of furniture for a king helped the carvings make sense. They're all scenes from Greek myth. They're of Zeus and the various ways he impregnated mythological women. The people coming out of the egg are the children of Leda, who was seduced by Zeus when he took on the form of a swan. The woman dancing in the fire is Aegina, or Semele, visited by Zeus in the form of a fire. The bull is Zeus too, carrying off Europa to be ravished. The mountain is Olympus. There are a lot of muscular men in Greek-looking helmets that I couldn't identify, but my guess is they're the kings of myth, a decent number of whom were fathered by Zeus. The dresser celebrates divine parentage. Louis the Seventeenth was equating his status as a king with the status of those ancient monarchs. They were sons of a god, and just like them, Louis traced his authority back to the divine. He wasn't just king because of his father. He was king because of God. I don't get the impression subtlety was a quality with which Louis the Seventeenth was over-endowed. I took another look in the drawers. Something had bugged me all along. They were too small for the size of the dresser. There was something else inside. There was no sign on the back of the dresser of another opening or underneath, but there was definitely a space inside that was unaccounted for. The swan, it turned out, could be pressed in. It took a lot longer to find the other part of the lock. It was the head of one of the kings. It wasn't a surprise that the dresser had contained a secret compartment. I'd be disappointed if it hadn't. It just seemed the sort of thing that should have one. The central column of drawers swung out. It revealed a cavity inside with a heavily carved interior. It had gilded metal fittings for holding bottles and a number of others for implements of some kind. 
whatever it once held was missing. Something valuable to the owner, but not to be seen in the open when visitors were around, perhaps. I had to get a torch to get a decent look at the carvings inside. I was reminded of a political cartoon we were shown in school, showing the French sans-culottes, the revolutionary poor, relaxing after a tiring day's revolutioning by eating the corpses of the aristocracy. It was a parody of the bloodthirst of the French Revolution. I, I looked it up. It came out in 1792, the year Louis Sixteenth, our Louis Sixteenth, at least, was guillotined. The carvings inside the dresser reminded me of that cartoon. It was just as grotesque. Just as graphic. But here, the sans-culottes were the victims, not the perpetrators, of violence. And it wasn't a condemnation of bloodthirst. It was a celebration. There were figures impaled on spikes heaped up on bonfires, bayoneted by soldiers, hung, cut to pieces, arms, legs and heads scattered on the ground, lovingly picked out in gold and ebony, entrails pulled from stomachs, torsos cut open, hearts held up like trophies. I wondered who carved it, they had spent hours, maybe months, obsessing over carving the ripped skin and severed tendons. The expressions on the faces of the dying could have been agony, could have been a religious ecstasy. Perhaps the artist had been there. The dead all wore the revolutionary's Phrygian cap with the tricolour badge. People watched the massacre from the banks of seating like the crowd at a football match. Three figures watched from the heavens. On either side, a man and a woman haloed like saints. Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette, maybe. In the middle was a bearded figure on a throne surrounded by lightning. On a scroll beneath his throne were carved the words Vive le roi! Long live the king. Louis XVII, or perhaps his father, crushed the sanculots and their revolution before it could topple the throne. The intensity of the violence put the King of France on the throne of a god. With no revolution, the monarchy devolved into ever more grotesque lavishness, surpassing the Sun King with this celebration of bloodshed. Where did it stop? Did it ever stop? Did the French monarchy keep sinking further into decadence with nothing left to stand in its way? The battles of the French Revolution saw a commander named Napoleon Bonaparte rising to prominence. No revolution, no Napoleon. No Napoleonic wars. No collapse of the Holy Roman Empire, no Napoleonic code. The Battle of Waterloo doesn't happen, Russia doesn't get invaded, a new map of Europe. Everything changes all with a mad, vengeful French dynasty at the middle of it all. Perhaps they stayed on the throne. Perhaps they got bumped off like the maddest Roman emperors. However it ended, it was in blood. I hate this dresser. Thank God I didn't move it into the computer room. 
I closed the secret compartment, but I knew it was still there. I found a dust sheet and threw it over the dresser, so at least I don't have to look at it. I wondered how much it would be worth, wherever it came from. In my experience, the uglier something is, the more someone will pay for it. Especially with all the hidden blood and guts. I wonder if Mr Havisham and his project had to buy it at auction, wherever it came from. Does he have money? Or the pull to spirit an antique dresser away from its owner and bring it here? I keep coming back to who they are. The people who go to some other place where history played out differently and bring something back. How they get it to the Carruthers Institute. And why? Oh, I'll type all this up tomorrow. My brain's too tired. At least I'll sleep. But... I hope I won't remember the kind of dreams I'll have tonight. Out of Place was created by Ben Counter. Sound design was done by Pacific S. Obadiah. If you like this show, consider checking out other Midnight Disease productions, like The Theater of Tomorrow, The Hotel, Lake Clarity, SCP Archives, and Margaret's Garden. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.